This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read David Rosenfeld's Dachshund Through the Snow, and I read Demon's Mercy, Dark Protector's book number nine by Rebecca Zanetti. Welcome to Bibliovile, take definitely number one. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back after a week off. Sorry about that, but it, it happens from time to time. Look, take it out of our paychecks. We are here with two of the worst books we can find. Indeed. And these are, uh, once again, ebooks that we found on the library's website. But I have some good news, Mick. Guess but, what? Uh... We don't have to read bad books anymore. No, we still have to read bad books, but we can start going old school bibliophile and going back into the library <sighs> to find them. Judging books by their covers? Yes! A bibliophile classic. The, Can't wait. What bibliophile is based on. We can actually go stream the stacks. Can't wait. So, uh... As of a week ago, I think, mm-hmm. the Johnson County or the Iowa City Public Library is open for a limited number of visitors to go and peruse the stack. So you best believe I'm going to make a beeline for that sci-fi section. Oh, yeah? You're getting me back for a couple of sci-fis in a row? Sure am. Well, I'm a Tuvex man, so I'll, I'll take my time. But uh, <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to find that out for next episode. So we are, we are in, the, in the dark for next episode. But for this episode, we have our books safe and sound. Uh, Nick, and red. Nick, for the, this episode, I tried real hard to get you something that was going to suck a little bit less and was maybe going to be a little bit lighter in subject material than some of the weird teen drama that I've been getting you lately. <laughs> uh and the cover of this one had a floppy little dachshund with a red bow tie on it. So did I succeed? Um, you did indeed succeed. It was full of adults uh <clears throat> adults being competent at their job, which is always nice. That's good. Um, however, I hate to tell you this, but the dachshund was a total bait and switch. It probably appeared a total of four times in the book. The book was not really about the dog in the least. Well, that's a so, bummer. Yeah, it was, the, the main character is a bit of a dog lover, uh, but there was much more about a police dog, German Shepherd, than there was about the dachshund. At least there was a dog in it. That's the important part. Well, there were several dogs that's in it. Don't, don't you get it twisted. Now, Mick, I have a question for you. This is a mystery book, yeah? Yes. You said that the book was full of adults being relatively competent at their jobs. Did they have weird jobs? Nope. Aww. Yeah, the main character is a defense attorney. Uh, His wife, his wife... Uh, was a police lieutenant and is apparently drop dead gorgeous. Uh, although that is probably just the uh, uh, narrator saying that because it's uh, you know his wife. Uh, and then there's other people that just do do what they do. It's mostly police functionaries and, and journalists and whatnot. No antique shop owners. <clears throat> no bakers. No one with a spice store. No one with some sort of Christmas focused antique shop. This is devastating. It is not. It's not really a cozy mystery. It is a competent mystery. I'm. I'm sorry to tell you. Okay. I think this well, is, who did it? I. Well, I. I'll tell you about that because I. I figured it out. Uh, very early on. So smart. Early on. Um. Our main character, Andy Carpenter, is a more or less retire, retired defense attorney. Obviously, defense attorneys make much better uh, detectives than prosecutors do uh, for a book like this because a prosecuting attorney would just find who the most likely suspect is, but a defense attorney has to think, well, who actually did it? Um, <clears throat> we start off the book with 
the the wife has the hot Christmas. Wife? Yes, has Christmas from Halloween until February first is her Christmas season, and so I don't begrudge her post Halloween Christmas. I do. But I do begrudge her all the way up until February 1st. It's That's all very too long. Stupid. Um, and so she selects a, you know, one of those giving trees, like kids ask for things. And one of the kids who, given the rest of the book, probably was not supposed to be on this tree because he does not really want for a lot of things except for the big plot driven one, is asking for a coat for his dog, uh, who's the dachshund, mm. um, a something else. And then he wants his dad home for Christmas because his dad had to leave. And Aww. it turns out that there was this lady uh, 20 years ago who was murdered and they <gasps> couldn't figure out who did it. And even though she had a bunch of DNA under her fingernails, the DNA didn't match anybody because no, nobody was in the system. And then this guy, the kid's dad, has a brother who sends in a 23andMe and the police basically just like pilfer through that stuff every so often uh which is absolutely true they they totally do it you yeah are, you are basically just signing up to put your dna on the record and everyone related to you <clears throat> and so then he gets arrested uh for this murder because there's his dna under the fingernails and he claims his innocence but for absolutely no real reason except to uh create this this character in the book uh our first case is actually there's a police dog policeman so like a canine officer yeah. who's retiring and he wants the dog to retire with him because it's like his dog and now he wants to basically live with it in retirement. But it's yeah. like, no, this is a this is more or less the property of the police department Aww. and we want the dog to keep working because it's still good at its job. And so he takes the 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 case of the police dog as his client to uh, get early retirement for this dog. And it is pretty funny. It's If a police dog retires, did they throw him a retirement party? More or less. I would love to go to that retirement party. A cab, though. Yeah, except for the dogs. Uh, no, A cab. Oh, fine. You're probably right, but dogs. All cops are bassoon, basset hounds. Um, blah, blah, blah. So it, it is kind of funny that he's representing a dog and basically saying, like, if this were a human being, you'd have cut him off. And you've referred to him numerous times as as good as a human officer, as, as important as a human officer. So why does he not get the same, you know, treatment as a human officer and this sort of stuff? Um, I do think this joins the long list of books that are written about lawyers by people who are or used to be lawyers. Uh, because it, from what I know about lawyering, it's pretty realistic. It involves like words like the discovery phase. And it does, in fact, have, you know, there's rules to how you submit evidence. And they talk to the judge when it's a thing and not when the judge has an important climactic speech to say. It's, it's very procedural, which is kind of nice. Like competent uh, characters and a competent author. Yeah. And so he's a defense uh, attorney and the rules inside the courtroom are very, very stiff, but they don't really make a lot of human sense. And so, for instance, in this case and the others, he knowingly breaks the rules to say things that can't go on the record, uh, but the jury heard it. And what do you like? Human beings what do you can't do? just you can't unhear yeah, it. Yeah, they're instructed to ignore it, but they're still people. They can't mm -hmm. just ignore that part. And so he gets like the the local news to cover, you know, another hero cop, the dog instead, and puts pressure on the the police department and everything. And so that's pretty funny. Um, but then the the guy gets arrested because of this murder twenty years ago, and so he's doing some digging because it's an open and shut case, like. No one saw her the day of the murder. No one else came forward. And then they finally find out that the the, fing the skin underneath her fingernails, she was uh, choked. And so there's a lot of opportunity for yeah. 
like a struggle. Uh, then there was like his DNA on a beer can and chewing gum and, and stuff like that, which I don't. I don't know that DNA evidence holds up across 20 years to, to match that long, but maybe there's some sort of re- uh, recording they could do of what the DNA was. And then they match that recording and not necessarily the DNA itself. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. It, it goes, it goes A A G A C T A G C. And then now they got, the yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing about this book that didn't really make a lot of sense is that 20 years ago, everybody has like cell phones and stuff. And then 20, and then now it's, basically the same like it didn't really wrangle with the idea of what it, what was it to be 20 years ago like yeah in the so 90s. Say this book came out in 2015 okay 2015 yeah. so yeah the, the late 90s the technology is quite different quite, even yeah. if it was 10 years ago yeah. like 2005 so, would have been really um, different too it also didn't quite wrangle with modern technology very well for instance uh there's a sleepover that's happening between our main character's son his son's friend and then the the little kid with the dachshund who wrote mm-hmm. the note because they like your dad's in jail like come over and have company or whatever yeah um the three this is a quote the three of them are playing video games which is why each of them holds a joystick and they do not so much as look up when i arrive <laughs> it's like there hasn't what, what are they are they playing arcade games no they're playing an atari in the minds of this uh, uh. in this writer and it's just a platform with a joystick and it's like yeah that single joystick has not been a thing for 40 years much less 20 yeah um and so there's kind of a a bad sort of timeless uh note to this um i thought i was in for not a great uh look when uh i'll explain what actually turns out to be but when i read this i thought i was in trouble i can't see who it is but i hear her say his wife say Corey, come on in this immediately tells me two things Corey is here and he's coming in oh yikes and so i I thought i was in a lot of trouble but our main character is actually a character which is very nice to see he is very cowardly like he avoids confrontation in every chance he can get which is pretty funny coming from a defense lawyer um he bothers everybody like nobody likes him and you're it's not like the 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 triplets what are the crawford cousins or whatever we have from yeah corbin yeah county yeah uh where old men flipped him off for no reason (laughs) like no you can you can see why people don't really like him um and so it's nice to kind of have a character as your main character and even though i don't really love it when the character talks to me the reader it did turn out uh to be kind of sort of funny later on uh when i got more used to him and i i uh, recognized that it was not so much bad writing for the uh section that i just read it's it's his sort of uh, dry sarcasm about how stupid it is to have to say things um like for instance he answers a phone call and says i started off with hello which is an old standby i often use to get chit chat going <laughs> all right yeah it's fine <laughs> and then the, uh, the the last quote i had was in my, he, with the sleepovers in my view the absolute best thing about sleepovers are the meals my wife would ne- my wife would never embarrass ricky his son by serving something healthy like salmon or god forbid vegetables <laughs> so i go out and get three pizzas ensuring enough for everyone to have a satisfying dinner as well as leaving cold pizza for me in the morning these days i'm trying to appreciate the small pleasures <laughs> uh so he's kind of getting up there in years uh and here's the the details of the case <clears throat> the 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 lady I don't remember the her lady name. who died. Yes, yeah. Kristen or something like that. Uh, our our main suspect, David, uh, was sort of seeing her on the side and thought he was going to get laid the night that she disappeared or she died. 
but she had a boyfriend who was off on a college visit, so he says he didn't do it, but the boyfriend, you know... How old were they all? Uh, like late like, teenagers. Okay, so like they, okay. I was imagining adults, so this oh, no. makes this sense. This is all okay. teen, like late teens. And okay. so the, the boyfriend is off on a college visit, so he's got a pretty uh, Loctite alibi, and he would be yep. the other main suspect. Suspect, yep. You know, especially if she was cheating on him and whatnot. Um, and so there's enough red herrings drip, dropped out throughout this book that it does like have a sort of like, oh, what's going to be important? Like wh- one person turns up with the flu and then turns out to be okay. Yeah. And so you're kind of thinking like, oh, are they actually being held hostage? No. And it gets a little bit CSI-ish where there's, oh, there's big things. Oh, and there's a hitman who hires two more hitmen and then kills those hitmen. Okay. Some enforcers and, and whatnot. And they're close enough to New York to sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge that it's big city people, you know. It takes place in New <laughs> Jersey. people from New yeah. York. Yeah, but like the mafia. Um, and so I hit it at 26%. I knew what the, I did not know who was going to do it, but I knew the the motive and the why she died. Uh, and I was pretty close on the the who did it too. Um, do you want me to tell you? It wasn't a bad mystery, but yeah. I don't think you're going to read it. No, I don't think I'm going to read it either. So she was working at this, uh, her, her boyfriend's dad's company, which makes routers. Okay. And it's a pretty small little router company and whatnot. And so the... Uh, protagonist makes a specific mention that he doesn't really understand routers or switches or or whatever like the internet business. And yeah, it's just where she was kind of as a secretary slash intern assistant to the main boss guy, yeah. who's the who's the boyfriend's dad. Okay. And although I thought it was going to be the boyfriend's dad, and it wasn't, I hit it on the head at twenty six percent that there was something in the routers that allowed the company to spy on the routers and like that she learned that and got killed for it. That she wasn't going to be uh, blabbing to anybody. And then had to read the rest of the book with it coming out like, oh, we were emailing and emailing and making all these calls. And somehow they were always one step ahead. I'm like, it's because they're they're in the routers, everybody, that you have one of these routers. Uh, And so then even when the hitman dies, everyone who would know anything keeps getting killed by someone who knows slightly more. And uh, so it is kind of... uh, a good mystery, but I, I figured it out pretty early. The thing that was really good is that he's the defense attorney, and so he's not just sort of like a baker who's chasing out clues. He's on a yeah. ticking clock, and although he does break some laws, he's not the police, and so as long as he can come up with a, a reasonable way to shuffle this evidence towards the police, yeah. then he gets to use it. And so, okay. Uh, and so then there's some trial scenes, and it really represents the adversarial law system pretty well, where the prosecutor is not... Some, like, fire-breathing asshole. It's like, no, the evidence is right here. It's pretty clear he did it. He didn't, but, like, come on. And so then it goes through how he's going to prepare for the trial. Not not in excruciating detail, but pretty close to talking through, like, I don't want to have to have the defendant talk because anytime a defendant talks, he fucks it up and everyone gets, like... And then uh, we had to have a bar or meeting with the judge about this new thing, and it was pretty good, Uh, especially because the whole strategy of the trial is laid out ahead of time that's like i can't even hope to prove he didn't do it because like every evidence points to him so i can't prove he didn't do it all i can prove is that maybe somebody yeah. else did there's reason to believe <laughs> yeah and someone so he, else was involved. he does not have to prove anybody else did but he has to introduce that reasonable doubt yeah and he he aims for that very realistically and how he goes about the questions he asks 
uh, all are leading to the same thing. It's not like some wild, like, I got struck in the moment to yeah. ask this beautiful question. It, it's all very planned, and, like, here's what I'm going to go about it. And yeah. The prosecutor even sees it coming in her opening statement. She's like, he can't deny that any of this DNA evidence happens, and so... It was it was pretty good. It's it's nice to read a lawyer lawyering competently and an author competently writing lawyers and it was all very very competent. And, and that the and, person executing the investigation is not the owner of the local thrift store or, <laughs> or knitting less. shop. More or less. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the 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 day, the hitman came to kill him, but the the Ooh. police officer that he got under retirement and his dog come and save the day. Um, and then did the dog get to retire? The dog got to retire. Oh, good. I'm mostly glad. thanks to public outcry. Oh, good. Because he's like, I'm not gonna win if it's a if it's a legal case. Cause, yeah. Like, there's nothing in the law about dogs. Public I'm gonna win. peer pressure. Yeah, I'm gonna win about you know yeah public pressure. Uh, and so then the retired cop and his dog. His wife, his wife, and then one other big muscly guy who never gets a line of dialogue because all he does is go, or whatever. Like yeah. the, the main character. Yeah, more. I can't even understand him. Uh, formed the K-team, and they're going to be the investigative uh, sort of unit that he relies upon, but gets cases of their own and stuff like that. So kind of a spinoff. Uh, so yeah, saw it coming. It turns out it was not the dad who owned the company. It was a guy who'd been working there forever that she was forced to write a note implicating the dad uh so that the the sniff would be off on the the employee and oh, when yeah. this note is uh, discovered that lets the defendant off the hook the employee kills the dad makes it look like a suicide so then he's in the free oh, and clear okay yeah. but then they so the guy who actually did it did we know his name yep. throughout? Yes. Okay, this was, was not first... a Midnight Sin no, situation, I told you was not com- a Lowry Berry. I told you he was competent. He yeah. was the first one interviewed at the okay. company. So, you know, a classic sort of Agatha Christie. Here's a bunch of people at this company. Which one's it going to be? Because yeah. it's pretty clearly the company. Uh, so I was wrong about that. I thought it was the dad, but uh, that's what they wanted you to think. You've got good instincts, though, Mick. It should be a cap. A cap. All or right. a defense attorney. Yeah. No, thanks. Too much reading. <laughs> who um, likes to, to do that so tell me about book nine demon's mercy which i did not originally get you i got you another sci-fi book and then we just sort of looked at each other like yeah we probably shouldn't even try to swing this one and instead no. stumbled on book nine the thing that i have to give you credit for is that i read this book incredibly quickly so thanks. i love how you're giving me credit about well it. thanks for giving me a book that was able to be read quickly oh so it's only like 75 pages or something or i know it was about 340 you are a maniac thank you i appreciate that um this book is i would say extremely classic bibliophile nice. in a lot of ways inhabiting the world that we are living in uh are vampires demons fae witches and shifters uh the bulk of the action takes place in the scottish highlands but we do have an interlude in the pacific northwest oh you gotta you gotta there's a bartender named yasmin um we do start out the book in a bar so that's exciting um we have two main characters who are just instantly connected to each other uh, for absolutely no reason at all but they the just heat, know that the they hunger. have the bone my name's logan he held out his hand mercy o'malley she slid her small palm against his and the shock of her touch almost made him growl people growl a lot electricity <laughs> and enough heat to burn a forest nice to meet you her face registered no emotion 
So gotta love that people He's are getting just off on a handshake. in love with each other for absolutely no reason when all they've done is shake hands. That's super fun. I love that about Bibliophile books. <laughs> um, also, guess what is one of the physical traits that defines the Fae? Uh, purple eyes. Uh, close. Their eyes are all two different colors. Ah, heterochromia. That was my second guess. You got any me time with this? I'm sorry. Her one colored contact had fallen out in the fight, revealing her two different colored eyes. <sighs> She's Gotta fake. love heterochromia. Are they also incredibly, like, hot? And Of course they are. Well, everybody is, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, sh- he is, of course, the sexiest man she's ever seen in her entire life. Like, uh, but she betrayed no emotion at their handshake. Um, The beginning is a very confused scene where both of our protagonists are trying to kidnap each other. Uh, she winds up being successful in kidnapping him, and that is what kind of brings them together. He's kidnapping her because she is one of the three keys who are going to allow the demons to uh, defeat their big baddie. And she's trying Wait, to so kidnap. The demons aren't the big baddie? No. And then okay. the demons are like kind of the good guys in this. And then she's trying to kidnap him because he is about to undergo a ritual to become the last member of the title case seven uh, who are going to ostensibly fight the big baddie. But according to the Fae, once there are seven of them, the universe will become unbalanced and the big baddie will be able to get out of his bubble. No. Title case. The bubble isn't title case. Oh, Very important. Wow. That's a pretty stupid name. Um, Really good writing in this like. You totally kicked butt to use the vernacular of human teens and swear words like, holy jumping jelly beans melted twice into a gooey mess. Is this the fae? Or the yeah, fae, that's like, too the nice to swear. Yeah, they're, 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 they're too cutesy to swear. Um, let's see. There was another really That's really bad stupid one. because if you're, if you're going to have a fuck book, then you're fake. Pro- Wait, is there sex in this? Oh yeah, there's sex in okay, this. Okay, good. Oh. Oh my goodness, I was very scared. Don't you worry. Um, While her eyes were both blue, they were very different shades. (laughs) One was aqua, while the other was the deep hue of the bottom of the ocean. Both water. Cool. They eat a lot of powdered eggs, which is confusing to me. One of the other uh, really dumb swear words was holy... Oh God, I just had it. Holy Greek yogurt. They use holy Greek yogurt several times. Dumb. It's real dumb. Um, There's also some really good writing, like, in his boxers, he was the most masculine male she'd ever seen. (laughs) Cool, I guess. Uh, He exclusively thinks of her and talks about her as the female. Never woman. It's always female. Um, The whole book could have been a lot shorter because it's just a series of, like, one of them tries to get away. The other one finds them and then they have some sexual tension and then another one of them tries to get away and then other people from both of their camps are trying to like not capture them but like get their attention and then sometimes their friends get captured too it is extremely repetitive and nothing that interesting actually happens but the thing that was extremely bibliophile about this was just sort of the way that the relationship between the two of them was handled 
it's that sort of classic bibliophile, super overprotective male who like has to be like his whole identity is that he's the protector. And she talks a lot about how there's two sides to him, the protector and the predator. The protector, isn't that like (laughs) E-N-S-J-K or whatever? And then when they're like trying to have sexy times, she tries to bring out the predator and it like it's just really gross um he wow, the worst of both worlds yeah he uses a lot of again gross language if you were mine you'd learn the restrictions of that word very quickly uh that word being um managed she talks about managing her own fate uh why the hell had he said that logan shifted his weight trying to ease the pressure on his balls the female was just too much sweet stubborn and sexy an irresistible combination Gross. Uh, there's a lot of, there's an entire like middle sequence of the book where they are in their underwear. Because of course, like they had to strip off their clothes because they were covered in tracking dust. And so they had to strip <laughs> off their clothes and jump in the water. So they're in wet underwear. Um, her breasts, of course, are perfect. Perfect. That is how they're described. Logan stopped breathing. Her perfect breasts were pert with sweet pink nipples, and they bounced when she threw her bra at him. Like, okay. Um. I have a question about this whole protector thing. Is it even remotely sexy? No. Uh, No, I knew that already. But like... <clears throat> there are some things that people don't necessarily want in real life, but sometimes are like sexually appealing. Is this one of those things for people? I think it must be because it comes up. Want this? It comes up so often in these books that I feel like it must be. And there's also like that was the whole thing about Twilight when it first came out was like this like really overprotective guy, like everything that. Edward did was actually super stalkery and creepy, but the defense was like, no, he's protecting her. So, like, are there women out there who want a a overly controlling boyfriend that they can rebel against? And there are men out there who want a stubborn woman who drives them insane because they're trying to control her? I guess so, but that sounds really unhealthy. Yeah. Really like, unhealthy. Don't do it. Um, More gross things. I'd never allow a female I'd bedded to be put into danger. All of that's gross. I don't like any of that. Wait, Susan, so you would want somebody who would let a female that he bedded be put into danger? That sounds kind of like... I don't want to be thought of someone's property because they've bedded me and they don't want someone to call me their female. Gross. 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 Uh, there's some other characters that are referenced that I think may have their own book later in the series. Or earlier, for all we know. I think this one comes up later because oh. it is one of his friends or colleagues, one of the other seven, named Adair. Enhanced humans, True. those with psychic, empathic, or telekinetic abilities, could mate with immortals. And this one had become Adair's mate. Despite the fact that she'd been in a coma at the time, at death's door. Gross! Because the mating ritual, obviously, involves sex. Um, You did a rape. Spoiler alert, our two main characters wind up mating with each other. She is supposed to, she is predestined to mate with the king of the fae, whose name is Niall. um, Because there are only ten 
fae that like are able to reproduce. There's five males and five females and they're like each they've each been matched up based on their genetic code to ensure a successful oh, bloodline. You eugenics. Yeah. Um but instead she goes rogue and she mates with uh what's his name? Logan. Oh. Um and he says, "Oh, I am mating you, baby, but it isn't because I need your skills. It's because you're my fucking mate." Okay. Good one. Good, Good one. one. Buddy. Good work. Um there there is so after their mating ceremony or whatever after the big sex scene uh he refers to her as mate except it winds up just, just sounding australian. like he's australian logan rose bloody and battered his eyes a furious hue hello mate <laughs> Oi. Good Oi. hello um so that i actually found extremely funny um, so, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you here. What is the plot of this book? They just keep kidnapping each other? Like, what is the, the MacGuffin? What's the end goal? That the Fae are trying to prevent him from going through the ritual because they don't want the bad guy to get out of his bubble. And the Seven are trying to put him through the ritual so they can defeat the bad guy. They wind up, like, they both think... Both camps think that something different is happening. And so they wind up pooling all their resources at the end so that they can do better research to figure out what's actually going to happen So if he goes through the ritual. What's his face from Otherworld? Shadow. Something like that, yeah. Hawk is, is in his bubble. And it's about the Knights of Karastar coming together. With Except the it's not autumn, nearly as good. With the Autumn uh, Court. Um. Our female protagonist, Mercy, uh, really believes in IQ, and so she, uh, uh. she she's done extensive research on Logan, and she says, I'm actually quite accomplished, Logan. In fact, my IQ is so much higher than yours, I should probably dumb down my vocabulary here. She's done all of this research on him before she tried to kidnap him, and then, of course, she fell in love with him before she met him. Uh, she is a notoriously terrible cook. She can't make anything. Oh, then she must she not gets be smart. Very exasperated because she tries to make eggs Benedict, and she's like, "Eggs Benedict looked so easy. Eggs Benedict is actually quite complicated. It has a lot of dishes." Yeah. Um. Hey guys out there, let's we we should have a talk for a moment. IQ's not real. It's a fake thing. It's it's, it's a made up thing. It's it's not real like it's not like me saying oh it's not as important as they say it is it's not just that it's not real it's nothing it doesn't exist there's no such thing as intelligence quotient it's not a real thing everybody it's It's not something that you can measure with a test like that it's not it's not a real thing if anybody ever tells you what their iq number is you just don't, don't believe them it's not a real thing it's still like taught though in like High-level psychology programs. Ugh. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, there's some stuff in the sex scenes that I question the physics of. The rain washed over her smooth skin, turning her bra translucent. A flick of his fingers and he tore it in two. How are you? A flick have, of his fingers he and he tore nails? it in two. I don't think so. Uh, then we get some more gross, non-consensual things. Um, she tries to get him to stop. Logan, she moaned, too much. I can't. You will. Gross. You did a rape. Um, and so it, like, they wind up mating. They wind up together at the end. They bring their two oh, peoples together. 
and they are going to pool their resources so they can defeat the big baddie in his bubble or whatever. Um, it was all in all pretty lame. There was a lot of stuff that I didn't understand because this is book nine. What? Oh, that's like six fewer than the first Crimson Veil. That's fair. Um, but the thing that really got me was the very last line. Like he's supposed to be this, you know, brooding bad boy, of course, because yeah, that's re- what they all are. Mr. Darcy. Um, who's, you know, very possessive. He's super strong. Like he's supposed to be able to like fight his way out of any situation. Like kind of an intimidating guy. Her name, as a reminder, is Mercy, Mercy O'Malley. Mm-hmm. And the very end. Uh, they're, they're together, they're sharing a passionate embrace, and she says, Logan, she breathed, did you ever think life would end up like this? I really did. His breath brushed the top of her head. I knew someday if I did my best, fate would give me mercy. Does a passionate embrace mean a hug, but he's got a boner? Yeah, I think so. Nice. He talks about his boners a lot in this book. Oh, good. Um, well, he talks about his boners and she talks about her IQ. Which one is worse? There are a lot of books in this series. The library has a lot of them. So if you ever do a sequels episode, you might have to read one. Let's not do that then. But maybe. Can we talk about it? Can we talk about, you know how there's only like six real stories according to Joseph Campbell, like the the hero's journey and there's like five different, six different kinds of myth. Yeah. Are there only like three different kinds of uh, male protagonist love interests? There's the Mr. Darcy, Mm -hmm. which is Edward from, from Twilight and obviously Mr. Darcy and this guy. Then there's like the poor streetwise kid that's dating above his luck, like Gatsby and yep. uh, the other Leo DiCaprio character. That from Irish Titanic. guy from that one book I read. That one too. Uh-huh. Uh, although mine was a Mr. Darcy in my version yeah. of that book. And then what's the third, do you figure? Um, Is the third the like... Hero the, cop? Or like the the unassuming good friend who's been there all along mm, the guy in 10 things i hate about you yeah except he ends up not getting the girl right the good guy doesn't get the girl because he's just friend zoned so what's yes. an example of the good guy who's unassuming that does end up swinging through i mean ben from parks and rec i suppose ben from parks and rec um me in real life <laughs> um i think it's hero cop saves the day is the third male okay. protagonist. And he doesn't have to literally be a cop, but I think it's Hero Cop Saves the Day. I can Captain see that. America. Yeah. I think that um, for good authors, there are lots of other kinds of myth protagonists. I don't know. I, they do really seem to fall into those three categories, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Because no one really wants to read a book where the guy who makes dad jokes and is an okay cook and forgets the calendar uh, gets a girl. Like, those aren't interesting character traits. I wrote a short story, and that was essentially the the guy that got the girl in the end. Yeah, but he's great at costume parties. He was great at costume parties. He dressed up like Pope Kendrick from the Humble video. Indeed. Um, I think that is going to do it for this week. By the next time this episode comes out, we will have been to the Iowa City Public Library. For the first time in 
over a year. It I'm pretty sure be. February 2020 would have been the last time we went into the library. Indeed. And then we had to return it and think like, do we have to do anything to return these books? And the answer was no, because that's not how COVID works. Yeah. But either case, kind of a short episode this week. Sorry about it, but that's what you get. Uh, that's what you get when you get bad books. It's worth every dollar that you guys yeah. pay for this. So uh, we will be back in hopefully two weeks to get this thing a rolling once again. It is warm outside. It is a miracle. 2020 sun. Uh, shine on. Or what was it? Something. Get like brighter. That. Shine a light. I believe shine a light. Yes. Um, so getting outside, getting some sun is been very nice. But that uh, is it. So you can find me on Twitter at Dickymom. D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can find the podcast at Bibliovile. And I'm on Twitter at Susan J. And the intro music for our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Good night, Tony.